Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. From our financial life, to our relationships, to our kids, to our health, we're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family, and in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And on most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. But on this special episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Jennifer Barrett, Chief Education Officer at Acorns, the Investing and Savings app, and founding editor of Grow, its personal finance magazine site targeting millennials. Like me, Jennifer has been a writer and an editor for years, but unlike me, she's written two books on personal finance and last year was featured as a TED speaker on women and breadwinning. So you know we're particularly thrilled to have Jennifer join us today. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So at the Breadwinners, we usually start with a stat um, that... Uh, that sends Raquel and myself spiraling out into all kinds of topics. But I thought this time I'd like to start with a concept, which is the concept that you spoke about in your TED talk that the breadwinning versus budgeting. So I'm going to toss to you. Can you tell us about that concept and, and, and what we need to know? Sure. I think this is really at the heart of why we still have a gender wage gap and an even larger gender wealth gap in this country. And it's because we're still raising boys to be breadwinners and girls to be budgeters, essentially. And, you know, when men were the sole providers, women were the ones often running the home and the household budget, clipping coupons, trying to make the dollar stretch as far as they could. That made sense. But that's not really the case in a lot of households anymore. And, and yet we know that parents still talk differently to their girls and their boys about money. And we know that the kind of social conditioning that we get as women is is very different to the messaging that that boys and men get. Hmm. And so, what is the messaging? What 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 am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I would trust me. I had the same thought, although I have two boys. <laughs> but but I think actually it was it was really interesting I, when I started doing some research. Um, there's a woman who worked at TD Ameritrade and was a financial advisor there, and they do like a yearly study about this, about how parents talk to their kids. And she actually wrote an essay after one of the, the results came out and uh, about how she realized that she had actually talked to her son differently than her daughter about money. So even when we're aware of it, we can still do it without even, you know, without thinking about <laughs> it, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. But, but what we know, so the surveys tell us that parents talk most of their daughters about like how to open a checking account, how to shop for bargains, how to get a credit card. And in surveys, parents report that they're more likely to talk to their boys about how to borrow responsibly, how to budget. Huh. Yeah. How to, sorry, how to borrow responsibly and how to invest. And so those are really the skills that allow you to build wealth, right? And provide for yourself and maybe a family too. Whereas the whole focus for women is really around consumption, right? Shopping and, and budgeting. And that, I think there are so many layers to that messaging too, because, you know, on the on the highest level, telling women, teaching women to learn how to budget and be very careful with their money and teaching men how to build their money, that is very different messaging. And that can have kind of a trickle down effect on the way that we look at our careers, the way that we look at ourselves, the way that we look at our roles. And we see that kind of playing out once, um, you know, once women move into the workforce and almost Every money choice that women make, we see women lagging behind men financially. And I think when I started working on this book, 
what I realized was like, if women were actually coming out of college, believing wholeheartedly that they were going to be in charge of, you know, taking care of themselves and quite possibly a family, I just, I think we would be making very different money choices. And that was sort of the crux of this is like, we're not raising women to think like breadwinners, even though more women are finding themselves in that role, as you know, than ever before. Interesting. Cause I, I just personally, like I, when I've seen, you know, you read about people who take, you know, business loans, you know, and I like think, Oh, geez, I don't know. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. how is, what, and I, and yeah, like, I just want to be able to cover my bills, but it's, that's not a, that's not an aggressive way of building wealth. No. And that's, and I think you nailed it. Like that messaging really is ladies, be sure you can pay your bills. And for men, it's <laughs> be sure you'll be able to provide. It's just a very different it's very different the messaging that we get. And so we get this idea that being independent means that we can pay our bills and like we can pay right. our own way when we go out to dinner. Um, and, you know, we have our own paycheck, but that's very different than building wealth so that you can take care of yourself for life and provide yourself with whatever you want in your life and not have to depend on a partner for that. Wow. And so the, the research you're finding is saying that that is kind of part of the conversations we're having with our kids? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts really early on where we talk to girls about shopping and we bring them with us to the grocery store and they learn about, you know, budgeting Mm -hmm. coupons and all of that. And I'll give you one example. And this is, I mean, obviously they're older now, but I think these conversations, what I found in the research is that these conversations are still breaking down this way, um, even for you know, more progressive parents. But I have uh, one friend who I featured in the book who told me this story that um, at her bat mitzvah, her parents bought her this beautiful bracelet. And then her brother had his bar mitzvah a year later and they opened a brokerage account for him. And his dad sat down <laughs> with him and taught him how to invest. And then fast forward, you know, 25 years and she's a, um, She's a single mom by choice, raising her daughter. Yeah. And her parents never would have imagined that outcome, and neither did she. But I just, right. when I was talking to her about it, she's like, Yeah, I really could use that investment account yeah. right about now. <laughs> she's like, I don't know where that bracelet is, but damn, if I'd had that investment account, that would have made it a lot easier, right? You know, to go to this firm bank and not be stressing out about how I'm going to pay the bills and childcare and everything else. So, and used to say that yeah. brother didn't want a bracelet, you know, there's, oh, no, like, I know well, that's it goes both ways. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of, I mean, that's a perfect kind of indicator. Her parents were totally well-intentioned, you know, they, they just, yeah. um, that's just the way we think a lot it of was. times. Right. Um, and it sends these kind of subliminal messages too to, to kids about, you know, women are meant to adorn themselves and make themselves look attractive. And, you know, men, it's really about being able to provide from the get go. Now, I see a lot of reference to this. So tell me if this is true that, you know, even as more women uh, are the breadwinners in their families as the primary earner or part of a dual income, anyways, Mm -hmm. bringing money into the family, that yet we still as a gender are afraid of our finances. Like, Mm -hmm. is that like, what is that? Because what is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think you know, our financial education is lacking in this country, period. So no one is as well prepared financially as they as they could be. I think financial literacy is a huge issue in this country. But again, you know, if 
men are being taught how to build their credit and to invest early on, they're, they're going to be more confident doing it. And women really, for the most part, are not being taught how to invest. And then on top of that, you have an entire industry, you know, that depends on, you know, their own income depends on making sure that people think that investing is so complex that they need someone else to do it for them. You have an entire industry that's, that's been based on that, on, on making investing seem so complicated and so complex that you couldn't do it yourself or wouldn't want to do it yourself. And, um, and then we know, and these are obviously, those are generalizations, but we know that women in surveys, women tend to be more risk averse than men. Um, you know, we, the data shows that women tend to save more and invest less. Like if they have money set aside, they put more into cash and into CDs, whereas men are more apt to put their money into the stock market and take riskier bets there. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, when you look at the studies on how men and women invest, women tend to do better. And that's primarily because, and these all, again, with the caveat that these are kind of generalizations, but women tend to trade less often and they they value diversification. So they will go in and kind of follow the Warren Buffett way, which is invest in a lot of low cost index funds and just mm-hmm. leave your money alone. <laughs> just yeah, keep right, money sure. in. And I think women are more prone to take that approach, whereas men take more risks. And, and, you know, the research shows that men tend to trade more often. And so when you're paying fees on those trades, they end up losing out on those. And also it's quite hard to time the market. So when they do <laughs> look at women and men, in women and, and men investing, women do tend to have better returns over time, but that, that is not the message that women get. So that's, right. that kind of runs contrary. You know, even, and I think Fidelity actually did a study where they asked women how confident they were and their confidence was lower than men, but then they looked at what their performance was and their performance was actually higher. So there's a complete contradiction there. And I think a lot of that, again, comes back to messaging for us. And the other thing that happens is that because men are putting more money into the stock market, they're getting better returns. And so it's just widening the gender wealth gap. Like this idea of putting it into a savings account because it's safer is not entirely true because right now savings accounts, even high yield ones are paying like one to 1.2%. What is the point? There's no point where your money is losing value because inflation, the inflation rate is higher than that. But we don't, we don't get that kind of messaging. We're not getting that kind of education. And so I think, you know, when you're not sure what to do with your money and investing seems very complicated, you know, a a smart person would say, I will just put it in a savings account. It's not that women are less intelligent about this. It's just that with the information they have, they probably, you know, a lot of them, I think, feel like the wisest thing to do is just let's put it in the savings account where I know it will still be there and I don't have to, you know, worry about it. Wow. Well, it, yeah. so where should we go for, I mean, so, so <laughs> just miseducation officer, like what, where should we go for the, for this info? Cause I have these same problems. I, I'm totally, this, all this, this savings account thing. I, it's like, I'm up yeah. two months. I see the return, you know, it's 1.5% and I just think why and why? Yes. And yet that's exactly where my money is sitting. So and I get Where's that. Your, I mean, my sister that, and I had this conversation like three weeks ago because <laughs> we were talking about investing. She said, oh, I have a confession to make. <laughs> <laughs> when they sold their house, they put their money in savings and she just let it sit there because she was really nervous about investing. And now right. she's invested it. But um, I mean, I think you can, it's not hard to find information about investing. No. I will always say you can find information on Acorns. We have a money basic section that gives you really basic information about it. And my book will get into it too, but that won't be out for a year or so. 
in the meantime, <laughs> I, 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 need to know that. <laughs> I honestly, I think, I think it's really not that difficult. I think that's the most dangerous myth that's been perpetuated, uh, especially right. in the messaging for women is that you just want to get in. And if you are nervous about investing, just open an account and put your money into an S and P 500 index yep. fund, because that reflects, you know, it waivers depending on how much, you know, each of the stocks are valued at, but it's about 75 to 80% of the total market value of the stock market. So if right. you want to invest in something that reflects as best you can, the stock market itself and something where you really can just kind of set it and forget it, that's a really smart place to put your money. And the, the fees are very, very low. And that's, you won't even see with this, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole with this, but with, <laughs> with funds, there's something called the expense ratio. And that is basically a fee that they take off the top. So you don't even realize that you're paying that fee. It just comes out of the returns. But with something mm-hmm. like an S&P 500 index fund, the expense ratio is so low that the returns you're getting, you're keeping almost all of them. And so, yours. and that's, I mean, I, I have been writing about this stuff and preaching about this yeah. stuff for many, many years. And the majority of my money is in index funds. And I just yeah. leave it there. I just, but even after I would, work. It, yeah. it works. And it's sort of like, why, why mess with it if it works? And I'll put a little bit of my money into different stocks to sort of, you know, because That's it's fun, fun and I can afford <laughs> that, that money can go up or down and I'm not going to worry about whether we can pay the mortgage. But I right. think that the vast majority of my money is in, is in index funds and generally, and I'm not the only one. I mean, Warren Buffett, that's the approach he's taken yeah. for years and it seems to have worked out pretty well for him too. Yeah, so. doing, okay. <laughs> he seems to be doing all right. As, as a guy goes, you know, as come on. Guys, right. <laughs> now, is there any, what's the, what's happening generationally? Like is, is, are the millennials any better? You know, it, is are we getting any smarter? Did Gen X figure it all out? I'm hope. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually I thought my things might be different, um, especially with younger millennials. And I do think, I do think there's a little bit of a difference in um, attitude, certainly around the workplace. Like we, and, and this may be a, a result of just the awareness has grown about the inequities in the workplace for certainly the pay inequities. Yeah. Um, and I think women are more comfortable speaking up about that now. So that's made a difference. Um, but I, I haven't seen as much of a shift when it comes to the breadwinning and caregiving roles. So you, mm. you talk to women, I've talked to a lot of women who are in their twenties and even if they're ambitious and plan to have a career, the vast majority of them still have an idea that they will work for a while, step out of their careers, possibly if they have kids and then pop back in. Which right. is, um, which can be a really dangerous assumption. For sure, you're um, assuming that there's. I mean, that's that that scenario is calling for some partner on the. You know, you need some revenue unless you're independently wealthy. Yes, trust fund will will help you in that regard well, sure. too. Yeah, I'm going to take <laughs> the equation because they don't have to worry about private at all. income, as they used to say. <laughs> right. in I have a private income. I like right. that. That's what I want. I would love a private income. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I think that that they are a little more aware of this. So that's kind of the first step. And for some couples that I spoke to who are a little younger, this the rigidity around gender roles was not, um, you know, it wasn't as calcified. It was, you know, that the the male partners were more apt to pick up more of the household responsibilities. They didn't see like, you know, they're out with the baby carrier, they're at the playground with the kids. There's not that kind of 
um, resistance that we probably saw more. I'm, I'm in Gen X and I think yep. there was a little more of that in our generation. But one of the things yep. that I, that was really interesting to me is there's a, there's a survey that's gone out to American high school seniors. Um, and in 1994, 42% of them agreed that the best kind of family was one in which the man was the outside achiever or worked outside yeah, the house yeah. and the woman took care of the home. So that was 1994. So four out of 10. But then in 2014, they went back and interviewed American high school seniors again. And 58% said that was true. I know. It's That's going back. crazy. I know. I saw that and I thought, what? How is this possible? Because I feel like we're so progressive in the way that we're thinking about roles and there's more gender fluidity. There's just more fluidity around, you know, what what male and female roles are, it seems like. But then then I saw this stat and I thought, oh, this this is a this is tough because I think even though you're seeing more women in the breadwinning role, the the beliefs and the perception about who should be the breadwinner and who should be the yep. caregiver, those they have not evolved as quickly as um, you know, the realities of who is actually I, in those roles right now. It's the same sort of idea yeah. that a woman will contribute to the household, but she's not expected to be bringing in like substantial income. And and that's like, that's just not true anymore for many households. Or her income is going to childcare, like, yes. like in their mind. I, that, uh, yeah, I, I used to hear that a lot at working mother that, um, uh, well, my income pays for childcare. And I think, no, no, no. Every, yeah, it's yeah, childcare is super expensive yeah. for sure, but it's not just your income. It, it's a weird mindset that like, one income is going to the family, you know, it's the whole family budget. And, and one is specifically for childcare. For one line because, item. Right. Yeah. Because that's implying that, and if I didn't work, we wouldn't have ch- need childcare. And then, you know, like mm-hmm. it's. That's how that conversation starts though. I mean, the number yeah. of women who I have talked to who said, well, the cost of childcare was so close to what I was bringing in after taxes that it didn't make sense for me to continue working. And I was thinking that's actually. You don't have to look at it that way. And you're also, when you make those sorts of calculations, you're not, you're not thinking about what you're losing out on the money you'd be putting into a 401k and the compounding that could happen during that time. And you're missing out on career opportunities if you step out of the workforce. And my God, I mean, if, if I stepped out and you know this too, if we'd stepped out of journalism for five years in the middle of what's happened over the last decade, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, there was an entire shift. Only one way, I think. But it shouldn't, and it's wrong, but oh my Lord, yeah. I mean, they're pushing us out the door, you know? (laughs) That's true. You have to hang on for dear life. But I mean, even the the evolution to digital would have been, if you'd stepped out and missed that and then tried to come back in, I I don't know how you would do that. I mean, you'd be hustling just to get back to where you were before you left. And and But you would have missed pivot to video and pivot pivot to iPad. I mean, some ridiculous pivot. Pivot to podcast, right? (laughs) At the whole, we'll do our whole uh, breadwinning journalist uh, uh, episode, another one, and uh, we'll need cocktails for that one. Not so, a lot of breadwinning journalists out there, I would say God, that. God. Oh, Lordy. Oh, yeah, you, have to, you have to move into management, I found. <laughs> well, uh, as we wrap up, what's happening right now? Like, it, like it's such a weird moment for everybody. It's... Is there anything in particular that's happening for women's finances with this, you know, coronavirus and the, and finances and like, other than just losing jobs and I don't know, is there anything gender or is it just that it's bad for all of us? 
I mean, it is, there's no doubt it's bad for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, I think it's 30 million who are unemployed now in this country. And so that's oh, just an enormous number. But, um, you know, initially I thought this might be a positive in some way because more than half of essential workers are women yes. and you had men and women at forced to be home all the time and without childcare. And so you did see, you know, just more awareness of what it takes to actually run a household. And I think in some families that did mean that, that the male partner would end up picking up more responsibility and that, that is progress, I think in, in, in some ways. And, and so, and I wrote about that for Forbes and a lot of cases where women were like, we just, I can't do this. Like you just hit the breaking point and then you ask for help. And I don't think it's all on men either. I think a lot of times we just innately feel like it's our responsibility. We just take it on. We don't talk about it. And so a lot of times male, you know, the, the men in our lives don't actually realize how much work we're doing because so much of it is sort of invisible but yep. it's not invisible anymore. So that was a positive. But on the other side of this, you know, you, you may have heard some people have already started calling this the, the recession, the she session. And, no, but I, uh, I love a good coinage, but that's terrible. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, I, it's clever, but awful. Um, yeah. And I think that that's mostly because in April, the, the employ- unemployment numbers were so harsh and women accounted for 55% of the job mm. loss, uh, losses yeah. in April. Um, and so that, that moved the unemployment rate for women up to about 15%. Um, and that's higher than, than men now. And this is what's, what's really striking to me about this is that it, last December, so like six months ago, women, there were more women in the workforce than men for the mm-hmm. second time in history. The last time was right. in the great recession when so many men lost their jobs. And so that was a, that's, that's huge. That was a huge right. number. And now we are erasing almost all of those gains. I know we've slipped down to something like 48. Like it yeah. takes a lot to move that needle. So it does. Yeah. It does. And then that, so that has a ripple effect on everything. And so that's a, that's a huge part of it. And it's mostly because, you know, these industries that have been hit so hard just tend to be industries that more women are working right. in retail and leisure and hospitality um, and other sectors, healthcare and non-essential healthcare. I mean, like dental offices, childcare, retail right. employees. Um, but the other thing is, is childcare. I mean, that is a huge issue. And we know that even in families with both parents working full time, women are far more likely to end up managing schedules and activities to take on most of the childcare responsibilities. You also have 60 million single moms in America right now who are having to deal with this. And so that is a tremendous amount of pressure on women. And I think what we're going to find, and anecdotally, I've heard this already, is that even some women who are earning more, end up quitting their jobs. They're the ones who step out because um, they they feel that responsibility. I know. So I don't know how this is going to shake out. I think on the one hand, it's made us very aware of just how much childcare and, and, you know, household responsibilities, just how much it takes to, to take care of your children and take care of your household. And that it's, it's more than one person working full time can bear. We really need to, to split that up. And that's a positive. And then on the other hand, you have all these women who are out of work and some of them are single moms and that's that's going to be really devastating financially and you you're probably already seeing some of this already there was a lean in um and survey monkey survey that found women are twice as likely as men to say they wouldn't be able to afford basic necessities for more than a month if they lost their income which mm-hmm. is scary and they're more likely than men to worry about how to pay for housing groceries i mean just essentials and yeah. and so you know that's kind of a that's a scary thing when we were we were seeing so much progress on that front. And then 
um, to have so many people in such a precarious position right now is, is kind of a scary thing. And I think gov- obviously government relief will help and, and a lot of people will be going back to work in the coming months. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I, I think this has been rougher for women than, than for men. And I, and I think it drives home the point of what you, we were talking about at the beginning is that this is why we need to grow our wealth as women. Like we can't say that a pandemic, you know, who, who sees this coming? I'm sure some, somebody saw it coming, but for us civilians Mm -hmm. that we need to, we have to be aggressive about our finances. We need to take care of ourselves because we're taking care of others. Yes. So I think that's the core of it. Yeah. We need to, we need to take care of our finances because we're usually taking care of ourselves and often taking care of others now too. So, yes. So let's, to all of our listeners, we're all going to be real breadwinners, not just the breadwinners <laughs> we talk, this Jennifer talked about, but the breadwinner that Jennifer talks about. So <laughs> let's do it. So, well, thank you for joining us today on the breadwinners, whether you're a chance or a choice breadwinner, whether you're my kind of breadwinner or her kind of breadwinner, we hope you enjoyed the time you spent with us and that you'll share your own story at the breadwinnerspodcast.com. How are you making it work? We'd love to know. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. Let us know what you think about the breadwinners. Help us tell the stories that mean the most to you. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.